Welcome to the Lights Out Podcast. This is Chris Lights Out Lytle, and this is our journey to document the history of mixed martial arts. I've brought with me my friend, the MMA detective Mike Davis, and together we will preserve the history and hear some great stories from the world in the era of the no holds barred. Thank you and enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Lights Out Podcast. I am the MMA detective, Mike Davis. We've got a very special treat today. We've got a guy that literally just came off the set from The Ultimate Fighter, season 31, Kurt Hollebach. Kurt, man, absolute pleasure. Sincerely appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank y'all for having me. All right. Well, here, let's get this out of the way. Plugs. I know you've got two gyms. Why don't we start with how people could find you? Yeah, so... um, we definitely have two gyms, Amy, Louisiana, Franklin, Louisiana. We're on a Grace United team, Jucal. Um, I got Facebook pages. You can Google us. Um, also, my Instagram page, Kurt DeHer Halaba. Um, give me a like. Give me a follow. Also on Facebook. Um, yeah, keep up with me. All right, good. So, Kurt, obviously just coming off the Ultimate Fighter. Um, first and foremost, how how was the press coming off of it were you inundated with interviews or was it it seemed kind of more of a low-key season but why don't you tell us your experience yeah so it's a little bit of a low-key season coming off of it because even you know only close family and friends out of my gym actually knew that i had went right because i had to get a lot of people to cover my shifts at the gym and uh you know my wife had to take care of the kids so um only people close inside my circle kind of knew we wasn't really allowed to say where we was at the time um, and then after I came home from it, um, still kind of the same, you know, um, every a few people knew where I was at, but of course, nobody knows the results. All right. So you had a two year layoff prior to going on. How do you maintain staying on their radar? How do you get that phone call? So um, I just stay in touch with my manager um, at Sucker Punch Entertainment, Brian Butler, Brian Hamper, Chris Creech. I stay in touch with those guys, you know. I'm always hitting them up and I'm like, Hey man, you know, can, uh, there's a Bellator card coming up, you know, can, can you give me a spot? You know, there's PFL card coming up. Can you give me a spot? And man, we had a lot of those type deals that was falling through. I even signed a contract with Eagle FC when Khabib was doing his shows. Um, like I want to say it was the first of the year in 2021 maybe uh signed right after i just came out to xfc because they went under i was in the finals in a tournament over there and um xfc went under signed with eagle and i'm trying to get something they they offer me a fight or two I, i would say yes and then boom the fight would never happen so one day i'm sitting in the gym and you know, I think it was Chris Screech hit me up and he said, hey, man, just sent you an application for the next Ultimate Fighter season to your email. I think this is going to be a good opportunity. Go check it out. Fill it out. I got your interview Thursday. And I'm like, well, OK, well, never really thought about going to the Ultimate Fighter, man, you know, because I'm thinking I'm way past Ultimate Fighter stuff and all like that, you know. And of course, it was kind of the theme of the season. I was like the exact guy they were looking for. They were looking for guys that have been in the UFC that maybe have gotten released or didn't do well to bring back. Not, not matched properly. That's a, yeah. Yeah. Or or unfavorable matchups just kind of ran into some, a hard road and, you know, could easily work their way back in. So go ahead. So, yeah. Um, so they hit me up, man. I started thinking about it and I'm like, well, really, man, I got so much going on right now. You know, I got two gyms, me and my wife are running, um, you know, I got kids and I'm thinking, 
you know, I haven't fought in two years. I don't want to go to the show and get my ass whooped, you know. Uh, can, can I hang with the high-level guys anymore? Because, you know, I train every day. And that, that's the perks of owning two gyms is I'm going to train every day with my guys. And I've also got pro, fight, pro guys, amateur guys that I'm coaching every day, getting these guys ready for fights too. And I said, screw it, man. Um, my son was like, dad – you need to take this fight. My wife was, you need to, you need to take this opportunity. And of course, some of my students like Preston and Preston said, man, if you worried about, we will cover the gym. No, don't worry about the gym, man. You need to take this opportunity. You need to get out there and show the world. And I'm like, all right, well, let's just see where it goes. Well, and boom. it's a little, it's a little different when a child looks in her father's eyes and tells him he needs to fight. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and now that my kids are getting older, man, when I started fighting, my daughter, I don't even think it was born. I have a 15-year-old daughter right now. She's my oldest. And she wasn't even born yet. So that, that just shows you how long I've been fighting. And now my kids are growing up. I got a 15, 12, 10, 9, 3. You know, I got a – me and my wife, we have five kids total together right now. And – um yeah, so my kids are older now. They're able to really know what's going on. They're able to really see who I am and what I do. So let's talk about the Ultimate Fighter House, the experience. What was it like being sequestered? I hear mixed reviews about it. For me, it wasn't that bad. I really mentally prepared myself for the worst thing in the world, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm thinking, I'm going to go here. It's going to be the worst thing in the world. And it's going to suck. But, you know, mentally preparing myself for it, I think it, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Um, of course, finding good guys in a house to bond with and communicate with is very important. A lot of guys talk about, man, I'm not going there to make friends. But in a sense, you kind of need to if you want to survive in that house. If, if you want to not go crazy and, and be one of those guys that are calling Dana saying, hey, man, it's, I want to go home, you know. So it was cool to kind of get with a lot of guys in the house. Plus, we had really cool guys in the house. You know, Jason Knight, Roosevelt Roberts, Austin Hubbard was uh, my roommates. You know, and then we had a bunch of other guys that I met along the way in there. All really super cool guys. Um, your first fight representing – well, here, let's talk about the pick. When they started picking the teams, was it kind of like grammar school? You just you didn't want to be the last pick? Like, what, what was kind of going through your head? No, honestly, didn't bother me one bit because really, that's this wasn't your typical ultimate fighter, right? They didn't do the seating and the picking like they normally would, right? Old and so, new. Yeah. yeah. So they kind of, um, once we picked teams, right, once we got selected to Chandler, um, Dana said, all right, so tomorrow you'll do a quick training session with your coaches and your coaches are going to rank you and put you in an order. And then we're going to seed you by the order that you're picked in. So me personally, I figured I was going to be number four. All right. Because I think you started off with now just for the simple fact that, man, I technically didn't have a UFC win yet. And you got Austin, you got Roe and you got Jason who all have won, you know, several UFC fights and had pretty good UFC careers. Um, now I don't know my personal pick. I would have probably put like Roosevelt Roberts first. Um, Maybe Austin second, Jason third, me fourth. That would have been my picks. Okay. Well, your first fight was against Lee Hammond. You win by guillotine in the second round. Um, 
technically your first win under the UFC confines. Was there a lot of mental pressure going into that fight? There was a little bit. It wasn't too much. I think one of the most pressuring things was at that time we were five and zero. So our team has won five fights at this time. Now I'm up and I'm fighting not just any guy. I'm fighting the guy that everybody made a big deal about when Connor showed up to Vegas with supposedly three of his guys and the UFC's kicking guys off the show. So, um, and really it was just just Lee, just one guy, and you know, so I got matched up with Lee. He was our number one pick. I'm the number fourth pick. And I know it's a big fight. I, I hear a lot of good things about Lee going through the house from the other team. And everybody said to do a solid. So I'm like, all right, man, well, we should have to find out. And definitely the biggest guy in the house, I can tell you that much. He was the one that came in weighing the most. Um, I know they had a little bit of trouble getting him down. They had all their nutritionists and guys helping him cut weight and stuff like that. But he was definitely on the bigger side, um, strong really good, really talented. But yeah, man, I had to just weather that early storm and show why I'm a true veteran of the game and come back and get that win. Right. And Jason Knight, he, you know, under traditional tough, the tough rule set, Jason Knight actually going up a weight class. He normally fought at 45 and he's up at 55. And like, if you're up a weight class, it's easy to see who's struggling to make weight. And that's kind of the guy you snipe in order to get there. Um, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of a, it brought the regional scene to life in regards to Louisiana, because when they went in there and they asked you guys, Hey, who do you want to fight? What makes the best matchup? Both of you guys both said each other's name and, you know, one of the most respectful ways of making a fight possible. Yeah, for sure. Me and Jason talked about it. We're like, Hey man, look, I think we need to give, our fans back home, as well as Dana and all the fans in the UFC, what they want. They need to see this fight. This has been a fight in the making for 10 to 11 years. Um, we were supposed to fight back, I want to say 2012-ish, early 2012. We were supposed to fight on a local promotion in, in Mississippi. Fight never happened. We always kind of stayed um, close, talk to each other every time we see each other, and then you know, we get in this chance on the biggest stage in the world. So we decided to say, hey, look, you don't shoot a takedown. I don't shoot a takedown. We go out there and let's let's just let throw hands. Let's, let's give the best fight we possibly can. So, man, we shook hands on it. And as you see how that fight played out, we both lived up to our word and threw bombs. Dude, Jason Knight. Uh, he, as a human being, is so unique. Uh, he is just a genuine, uniquely human being that lives by a code. Yeah, man. Look, I love Jason. Uh, um, like I said, we we we've known each other for a long time. We we've always been, you know, friends. Hey, what's up, man? Let's get a picture whenever we see each other at the local shows. Talk a good bit. But once we got into that house. You know, I felt like I really had a friend in the house and we got closer and closer being there for, you know, six weeks. Right. I mean, we're cooking for each other. You know, we're literally sharing bunk bunks. I'm on the top bunk. He's on the bottom bunk in the same room as well as all set a row in the same room on a bunk bed on the other side. So, I mean, we're all five veteran lightweights sharing the room. So we're getting close, man. I'm 
eating all Jason's Jolly Ranchers that he's bringing into the house. And yeah, we got real close. So now I definitely consider Jason a friend. You know, in our interview with him, we, we did it over a year ago. Um, he said that he knows he could make 35, but it wouldn't be fun. Man, I think if he dropped to 135, he could make a serious run in the UFC. Yeah, he would be a huge 135er. Now, here is this. You, the Ultimate Fighter actually brought Jason onto the show to be a 135. He wasn't actually selected to be a 55. When he when they brought him in and said, all right, Jason, here's all your stuff, it had 135 on it. Jason said, hey, um, I'm not doing 135. He said, I'll do 55, but I, I can't do 135. So, um, yeah, he was actually brought on to be a 135er, but yeah, that Jason Knight at 135 would be scary for anybody in the UFC. His chin, his durability, his cardio, his willing to bang like you could make fight of the night with that guy every single time at 135 without issue. Oh, okay, so you win the ultimate fighter, you get your obviously your hand raised in the finale. Um, what were the thoughts going through your head? Just, man, it's been a long time coming. Like, um, not that I ever let anybody down, but I felt like I owed a lot to, you know, my friends and family that's been by my side the entire time, that's been by my side, win, lose, or draw, and especially the biggest losses. I want to say um, one of my biggest losses ever was, I want to say, UFC 230 in Madison Square Garden, where I fought Shane Burgos. I had a lot of friends, a lot of family come out. Um, the first time a kid of mine has ever been to a fight live, I brought my son Zayden to the show. Um, my current wife now um, was at the show, and that was a fight that they thought that I won for a split second. So I gave them like a false hope in a sense, right? So I dropped Shane Burgos, and I'm on top. I'm punching him, and the crowd goes crazy, and my family and friends think I won the fight and then boom, I just got arm bars. So they're like, wait a minute, what happened? And I put him through such a high and such a low at that moment. So I'm figuring like, you know, now I'm back again. It's the TD guard and it's the same atmosphere, man. The crowd's going crazy. And for me to be able to come back and get such a huge victory like I did and be able to walk by the tunnel that they were at and hold my trophy up was the best feeling in the world. Finally threaded that needle, man. For sure. So, yeah, it was a good one. Um, never felt better. And like I said, they deserve it just as much. Let's talk about your MMA beginnings. What drew you into the sport? How do you wind up in a gym? I think Raphael Elwanger was your, is your first coach. Am I correct? Yeah, still still my coach the other day. First and last coach. Wow. How do, so, you, how do, you, how do you meet Raphael? All right, so... Well, first off, real quick, just to get into the sport, you know, I was always a, if it was a fan or if it was anything to do with fighting a movie or a fight, boxing, kickboxing, and I seen it on TV when I was a kid, I was entertained by it. Right. So, um, and I remember my mom and my parents or whatever, ordering the Mike Tyson fights and then the Mike Tyson and Holyfield fights. And I was such a big fan of that. And I was so intrigued by, you know, Mike Tyson and Holyfield boxing. So started moving on and then boom, here comes the UFC with uh Boyce Gracie and then Ken Shamrock and then Mark Coleman and Tito Ortiz. And I'm like, I really started to grow interest in that and definitely a huge fight fan. And I remember my parents would go rent the events from Blockbuster and they would bring them home and they would watch them 
you know, on the weekends. And of course I was intrigued by it. And um, right after I graduated high school, I had a couple guys that I heard that I went to high school with were cage fighting. And I'm thinking at this time, this is 2004, right? So they haven't even been an ultimate fighter yet. So the ultimate fighter doesn't exist. The UFC is still trying to get built off of the ground. And to me, I didn't really know the difference between UFC or these guys fighting in regional shows or, or local shows. So I started thinking, man, that's that's awesome. But I'm thinking at the same time, if they can do it, I can do it. Right. So um, I actually was an alarm technician for about 15, 16 years where I installed alarms, fire alarms, cameras. And I was doing a job right um, in my home, well, close to my hometown, Hammond, Louisiana. I was doing a job. And I look over and I see a big sign, Gracie Baja, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu coming soon. And I'm thinking, that's it. I'm going there. I'm going to talk to that person. I'm going to tell them I want to fight. So, uh, yeah. So right when it opened back up, I went over there, went in, talked to the owner, which was Rafael. And at this time, man, I, I mean, I have no fighting experience other than I'm a huge fan. Me and my cousin, we would we go out in the yard at night we we try moves on each other that we see on the tv you know i see a trial oh, this guy that's jujitsu and this is a triangle and i'm out there we're practicing devil legs and triangles in the yard at one o'clock in the morning so that's the only fight experience i actually have and uh just like you know anybody i walk in hey um i want to fight you know and he looks at me just like he even looked at anybody and all right here sign this waiver and uh, come to the class that's at five o'clock this evening. All right, I'll be there. And I did, man. I went to the class, started training, and took my first amateur fight a couple months after I started training. With training, though, do you know how many? I mean, you know, you're a gym owner. How many guys show up? I'm here to be on your fight team. They do yep. one practice, you never see them again. Yep. And yeah, exactly. I was one of those guys, but I was just one of those guys that were serious about it. <laughs> and somebody that really wanted it. But yeah, you yeah. get that a lot, especially being a gym owner, man. There's always people calling and hey, yeah, I want to be a fighter. I want to fight in the UFC. Um, can you can you yeah. train me to fight? And I'm, yep, our class time is this, this, and this, and just come to the class, man. We'll see what you, you yeah. gotta start training. You gotta yeah, train. Kurt, Kurt, you don't understand. I'm really angry. Like I have rage in me, uh -huh. and I'm gonna be on your fight team. That's just it's that you know, it is what it is, man. It is what it is. Yeah, of course. You definitely get guys in here like that, but but those are the guys that don't make it. So. Yeah, you just hope, you just hope somebody sticks around. So you go eight no as an amateur. You talked about you know your first fight a few months later. You go eight no as an amateur. Your last amateur fights against Lorenzo Washington. Um, there's not much documentation that is available in regards mm -hmm. to it. How would you describe your amateur career? Um, you know, I, I thought I fought some pretty decently tough guys at amateur. Um, I, I held a couple of championships, a couple of amateur titles. Um, so that last fight with Lorenzo Washington, that was actually a pretty big fight card. So it's kind of cool. I opened up my very first amateur fight in the in the Baton Rouge River Center. Um, I think it was a, um, an organization called Louisiana Fighting Championship. So LFC or something like that. But man, when I say... Thinking back on it and, and being my first fight ever, it was almost like a UFC fight. It was huge. The River Center looked like it was sold out. I think it was like a tailgate party or something for the LSU football team, the LSU Tigers down here. 
and it was packed. So this was the first experience I got to fight. Big cage, big crowd, River Center. Loved it. Second fight, I went from fighting in the River Center to a rodeo arena. So I'm like, oh, man, this uh, it's not quite the same as my first fight, but whatever. But my last fight against Lorenzo Washington was actually back in the River Center, and it was another pretty big card. And they actually had some pretty notable names like Kyle Bradley, um, Marcus Brimage, um, Sean Jordan was all on that card too. So it was a pretty big fight card. That was, and I even said this is gonna be my last amateur fight. Um, hopefully, I win so I can go pro. And that was actually for the USA MMA 155 pound amateur championship. So uh, I beat Lorenzo Washington by knockout. And right after that, in my amateur career, and look forward to going pro. All right. So we had mentioned your original coach, Rafael Elwanger. When do you think that you earned his respect? At what point so, in your career? I remember this. After my fourth, um, my fourth amateur fight, I remember he came in. And he looked at me and he said, "Can't wait to see you in the UFC one day." And I'm like, "Well, man." I that, that's only a distant dream, right? Because I'm 22 years old and fighting amateur, and now the UFC is actually starting to build. So this is, uh, I want to say, 2008, right? So 2008, and so the Ultimate Fighter's been out for a couple of years. UFC is growing, and but right now it's only a dream. And I'm thinking, man, I'll, I'll probably never make it to the UFC. But when he came in and said that, it, that's when I think he really thought that, hey, this this kid's got it. You know, he, he might be the, the seed. guy to go to the UFC. Yeah, he planted that seed, man. Yeah, somebody yeah. you admire, you look up to. When they kind of, you know, put a wa- little bit of water on that seed, it's amazing looking girl. Yep. Absolutely. So did you ever, like in your amateur career, obviously not a lot of documentation, did you ever fight on those Joe Ancona shows? Um, no, never. Joe Ancona actually wasn't around at that time whenever I was fighting amateur. Um, I don't know his full story, but I know a lot about it, Joe. And I've actually, he's back to doing shows now with Tim Crater. They do a little partner show called Bayou Fighting Championship. And I, sometimes I put my guys on their show to fight. But as far as uh, fighting his show back when I was amateur, I never did. Okay. So Tim Crater, yourself. Jason Knight, there, there's actually quite a few guys, you know, from your area. Um, Alan Belcher, Rich Clemente, yeah. um, Kyle Bradley, obviously you mentioned him earlier. Some of the guys like John Dixon, Jason Knight, Alan Belcher, Rich Clemente, did you ever have any interaction with them? I did. Um, as a matter of fact, whenever uh, me and Jason was supposed to fight in like 2012, um, right after that fight didn't happen, I won a couple more fights and once I wound up getting that call to the UFC, I remember Alan called me one day, and I think this is before Jason or before he had anybody go to the UFC. So um, I know Alan called me one day, and he just wanted to talk to me, and he's like, yeah, man, I'm, you know, you really inspired my guys. I, maybe even one day I might want to get you down here so you can come talk to some of the guys and train some of the guys so you, we can show them that, you know, it's possible to get to the UFC. And it's the same thing with Rich Clemente. I've trained with Rich quite a few times. I went over to his gym training for some fights, um, you know, back in the day to get ready. And so same thing with Kyle Bradley, man. I've trained with almost every one of those guys. That's great. That's important, man. You know, in the Louisiana isn't known for being the hotbed of MMA because I think it boils down to there's not a strong wrestling community there right. yet. 
But like when all the gyms work with each other, guys like you are able to get the opportunities that they deserve. For sure. We, we definitely got a lot of guys that have came out of Louisiana to the UFC. We got a lot of guys currently right now that's from Louisiana in the UFC. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so you guys are starting to make a name for yourself. If you guys look We're at Louisiana, it, look at Arkansas. I mean, Arkansas, yep. there's almost no representation there. So, you know, you guys are fighting an uphill battle, but you're getting there. You guys are 100% getting there. Thank you. So, yeah. Gil Gilroy was the promoter for US, USA MMA Stacked. I know you fought for him a couple times. How was he as a promoter? Um, he, he's a little, he's, he was the one that was a little on that shady side, you know. Um, I heard a lot of things about Gil. But uh, to me, always a pretty nice guy, you know. I think always a nice guy. There was one time that I think he set me up to fight, and my opponent didn't show. I drove like four hours away, and my opponent never showed. And I think that he knew my opponent wasn't going to show, but didn't want to tell me or just wanted to play it off like, hey, well, he just didn't show up. But I think he knew the whole time. And um, another thing, I won some championships for him. He never gave me my titles. Right. So my fourth fight that we talked about when Raphael come in and said, Hey, I can't wait to see the UFC. That fight was for an amateur championship. Um, he took it when I got to the back and said, Hey man, I only got one belt. I need to use it. I'm going to get one in the mail. I'm going to send it to you. So I'm like, all right, cool. You know, at this time I really want that belt. Like I've never had a championship belt before, you know, I'm 22 years old, 21 years old and just won an MMA fight that resulted in me getting a championship belt. Back in the day growing up, I was a big wrestling fan, and I would always make, like, a duct tape belt or something. So I always making my own belt for backyard wrestling. And now I finally got a real belt that I'm holding in my hand, and he t- takes it and never sends me one. So I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, I go on. I win some more championships from other organizations. But that last fight in USA MMA was for the 155-pound amateur championship. I won that fight that night, got the belt. As soon as I go to the back, he said the same thing. He said, hey, man, um, I need to take the belt. I got to I gotta use this one for the next fight, but I'm going to send you one. And I'm like, man, you said that about the last belt. But here, whatever, man, I'm going pro anyways. Never seen a belt. Uh, dude, you could have been like Tim Sylvia, wearing a pump gas, going shopping with it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, if I had those, I'd be two more belts on the mantle. That's it. That's it. Big belt buckle. Well, your your first pro fight, March 12, 2011. It's uh, Derek Brooks. Um, were you the headline that night? I was. That was Did actually you, at home on Louisiana. You're a huge ticket seller at this point, then. I was starting to get there, man. You know, I, I didn't have really a huge or I don't have like a huge family with tons of aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers or whatever. But, uh, you know, I was starting to get a little bit of a following. Of course, my family always came. And, uh, yeah, I was fighting. I actually dropped from 155 pounds or 170 pounds in my amateur career to 155 pounds. In my last amateur fight, that was my debut at 155 pounds. And I'm like, okay, so I'm dropping back. I'm dropping to 155, and I'm going to go pro. Well, I wind up taking that fight back up at 170 pounds. This this guy, Derek Rowe, was – a pretty well-known jujitsu guy. He was a brown belt under Tim Crater. And at the time, I think I was a blue belt. So I was a little nervous about it. I'm like, man, I'm about to go fight this brown belt. And um, he's 2-0. You know, he's 2-0 as yeah. well. And, and he had yeah. a real good amateur career. 
Yep. So I that's knew not, that's not an easy fight. fight. Yeah, that's not an easy fight, man. But my coach Raphael, he said, "You know what? I, I kind of like this fight. Let, let's do it." I'm like, "Okay, cool." And yeah, I wind up uh, getting the submission with 30 seconds into the fight. I'd say um, by guillotine choke. Yeah, guillotine 39 seconds into the first round. Um, that was also, I, I think that was his last fight as well. Um, right. In July 9th, 2011, XFC, you're the, I think you're the main event again. Phil Daru, you win by armbar. He's at a pit bull training and fitness. You're 2-0. and You go into your third fight a few weeks later. Felix is Louisiana bad boy promotions. You got Phil, was it Soloway? Yep, Swallow or Solo, something like that. Dude, it's one of those Louisiana names. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the cool thing about this fight, like this guy went pro, but this guy was Dustin Poirier's last amateur fight. We fought on the same night that yeah. night at, um, when I fought my fourth amateur fight for USA MMA. Dustin Poirier fought the same guy, Paul Swallow, the same night. And that was Dustin's last amateur fight. So I remember this guy turned pro and he was supposed to be like a good wrestler. And I'm like, all right, so yeah, I'll fight this guy. And same thing, you know, I hit him with something. He shoots, I guillotine him, another 30 second um, guillotine choke. Making things look easy. This is also part of a tournament where Booker Arthur is on the other side of the tournament, but the tournament gets moved to the XFC. Oh, I think, yeah, it gets moved to the XFC October 29th. So you went from July to October without completing the tournament in the promotion. What happened with that? Um, they didn't really tell us a whole bunch about it. I think that was just Felix trying to um, set some stuff up, trying to do a tournament. I don't think they ever turned nothing out of it. So at the XFC, you fight the winner on the other side, Brooke, uh, Booker Arthur. Um, you know, up until this point, you've never been to the end of a fight. Yep. And it's super important to see what kind of gas tank you got. You win by decision. Yeah. So, um, and like you said, like my first three fights, 30 seconds, a minute and a half, 30 seconds. So I'm like, I don't end three fights less than what a professional round time even is. Right. So but this fight was weird with Booker. I remember going into this fight and they're greasing us up. and They're like, all right, guys, three, four minute rounds. And I look at him. I'm like, three, four minute rounds. This is a professional fight. It's five minutes. They're like, no, it's four minute rounds tonight. And I'm like, OK, that's weird. And I completely dominated the fight. Uh, a lot of submission attempts. I want to say I triangle a guy, I armbar the guy, guillotine the guy. And uh, a lot of times the time ran out on me. So I feel like, you know, if we would have had that extra minute per round, maybe I could have got the job done inside the distance. But, uh, but yeah, man, Booker was actually a tough guy. He was a guy that fought Bellator at the time. He's durable. So, he's your yeah, durable. He's durable. Yeah. He was a big step up from what I have been fighting. So, yeah, got the victory by decision. I, I, you really don't know, like, as a coach – you don't know what a fighter has until you see him go the in, the entirety of a fight because there's going to be bumps in the road. If he's dogging it in training, it's going to come out. Like, talent gets exposed when there's a lack of cardio. Yep. So, that's... No, that's yeah, you can I mean, be the best fighter in the world, right? Be the absolute best fighter in the world, but if you can't fight the time you need to fight, then it doesn't matter. So you're at kind of a base right now. 
which is important to have you. Whoever's helping you get your fights, they're helping you get your confidence. And then they throw J.C. Pennington at you in the XFC April 7th, 2012. Yep. J.C. Pennington at this time is 20-15-1. and one. He's out of Gladiator Academy. J.C. Pennington is one of these independent grind guys that fights a who's who. He is legit in regards to fighting somebody at this level. It's not an easy fight. Absolutely. And J.C. is a guy that was fighting back when I was on the outside looking in. Whenever I first started, I seen J.C. fighting. And like I said, I was amateur at the time. I probably didn't even have a fight. And he was pro. And I'm seeing all the wars that he's getting in. He's one of Rich Clemente's guys that were coming up and training a lot with Rich. And I remember when we signed that fight, I'm like, man, this is the biggest fight of my life. This guy's got, you know, 20 plus MMA fights. He was, he on Showtime on Elite XC, I think. And uh, definitely a, the biggest fight to date coming up to that fight. So Kurt, if you're a gatekeeper in the UFC, that means you can make a living and earn, sure. earn some money, pay for a house. If you're a gatekeeper on the independent grime, grind, you're a mean son of a bitch. Yep. And that's what J.C. Pennington is. Like, you're not doing it for the money. You're doing it because you're mean, yeah, you're gritty, sure. and you're there because, you know, you're, you, you've got, like, self-worth. You're there to prove something to yourself. And that's J.C. Pennington. Yeah, definitely a big-time veteran when I fought him. Um a Louisiana legend, I can tell you that much, because everybody knew who J.C. Pennington was. And that's probably one of the biggest fights ever to happen on the Louisiana regional circuit. So, uh, yeah, that was a good one for me, man. That was a step up in competition for sure. I'm fighting a guy that has, you know, 20-plus fights, been all around the world. So, How's it end? Um, I want to say I finished a triangle in the third round. So, okay. completely dominate the fight. Right? So... So now listen to this. Booker Arthur, you make the decision. As a coach, you think, okay, we're going to give him another step up. Let's see how Kurt reacts. You find a finish. That means you found another gear. Yep. And, yeah, keep in mind, this this is the first time going five minutes in a, in a round because the last fight against Booker was four minutes. So, uh, so yeah, and, and I can definitely feel it a little bit. I can definitely feel the difference, and I can feel the difference in what a real veteran guy is because J.C. was not easy to put away. I remember hitting J.C. with a lot of good stuff, and I couldn't get him out of there. And I remember being in the third round. I knew I had him hurt, and I had a guy sitting on the outside cage side. And I remember I was going for the triangle, and he told me, like, a little certain detail. It was like switch to the other, switch to the other hip. And I remember I listened to him and I switched the other hip, locked the triangle. So I'm like, appreciate that, J Mark. So now you're listening to your coaches in the corner, which is not easy to do in the beginning. <laughs> no, I've always been that guy that really, you know, whatever my coaches tell me to do, I really try to listen, you know. Let's talk about some of the guys you've worked out with in the past. Your striking coach, Jimmy Mills. Yep. So I met Jimmy. During um, the Titan FC fight when I was fighting Desmond Green out in Mobile, Alabama, right? So big, big fight for a big regional promotion. And um, Hapiel and Jimmy trained together years ago whenever Hapiel first came to the U.S. from Brazil. 
right? Um, so real quick story about Rafael Elwanger. He is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Carlos Gracie Jr. He came to the U.S., I want to say somewhere 2005, 2006 maybe. I could be wrong. And when he came down here, you know, he was training with all those guys like Rich, Allen, um, Jimmy Mills, you know, he was down there in like the Slidell area training with all those guys on the coast. And whenever Titan put that show in Mobile, Alabama, I was fighting Desmond Green. Raphael wanted to go up a week early because he said, hey, look, I got Jimmy Mills up here. He's a guy. I'm going to introduce you to him. Really good stand up. Did a lot of boxing, kickboxing around Holland and stuff like that. And Overeem. He worked out with Overeem. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He was roommates with Overeem for a while. That's wild. So, so, yeah, man, we get over there. That's the first time meeting Jimmy. We go to his gym. I trained the whole week leading up to that fight with Desmond Green. And ever since then, I've had Jimmy Mills in my corner and worked out with Jimmy Mills every fight. Josh Weems. Josh Weems. I just met Josh probably not that long ago. And um, he hit me up, and, which Josh Weems, he always comes up to me at the local fights, right? Because he's actually a real good uh, – he's a fan of my son. So he's always coming up, man, look. Uh, and I remember the first video he ever commented on, which I think my son was holding mitts for me. And it was like legit. He, I'm, he's holding and I'm cracking. And, you know, he uh, he commented something on that. And I remember the next couple of times I've seen him on the local show. He said, hey, man, can I go introduce myself to your son? I'm like, yeah, man, for sure. So he was a big fan of my son. I'm like, yeah, I'm telling my son, you know, he actually fought in the UFC. You know, not that long ago. So, of course, my son, he, he loves that type of stuff. So, he actually, uh, I invited him and say, man, anytime you want to come train, come train. And he came and trained with us a couple months ago. And then he just actually came back out, I want to say, this past Friday and got some rounds in with us. So, so really, you, really nice guy, good guy. You refer, you're referencing your son, Zayden, I believe, correct? Yep. Now, Zayden yep. is also competing quite a bit. He is. He is. He's, he's about to be 13. Um, but he's been competing in jiu-jitsu competitions since he was five years old. And then slowly moving up from jiu-jitsu competitions, which he still competes to this day in jiu-jitsu competitions, um, we started getting him jiu-jitsu matches inside a cage, right, on the, on the local MMA shows. So it's actually pretty cool because these kids get they're, – they're giving them their walkouts. You know, they get to walk out to the music just like any fighter of the night gets to, gets to do. So they get into the cage. They grapple. If there's no submission in the five minutes or the three minutes, whatever the time limit is, okay, it could be a draw. But uh, you submit the kid, then you win the match. And, man, I can't even tell you how many of those he's done. I want to say his first one was probably he was eight or nine. And then I, I don't even know how many he's done since then. And then slowly we started saying, hey, well, okay, I'm a, uh, let's do some boxing. So I registered him with USA Boxing. He's currently 1-0 in boxing. We don't make it out to a bunch of shows, but he won his debut. We've been to a couple other shows, but sometimes it's just hard to get matched for, uh, you know, boxing. And the last show we showed up, his opponent didn't show up. So, uh, But he's done some boxing matches in the cage, and he's done some kickboxing matches in the cage. And hopefully here coming up, he, um, he's got a rematch with the last kid he fought in the cage. And it was a kickboxing match, but this kid was really, really good. Actually, beat him with a spinning back kick to the liver. So, oh no way! Yeah. So, uh, so now we're coming for a rematch in an <laughs> MMA fight, right? But 
and, and this is the thing about my son. He's always been very small. He's on the smaller side, right? So he's about to, he, he's close to being 13 and he's still only like 85 pounds. So the kid he's fighting, I want to say he's 11 or 12 and about the same, about 80 pounds. Well, her coach or his coach made a huge deal because the way we work with kids, we're not going to make kids cut weight. Okay. hundred no. percent uh, against making kids cut weight. And whenever I talk to promoters and I got a very good friend of mine and promoter, Justin Vernon, that does the shows down here in Homa that I'm always putting guys on his card. And he's always putting not just my kids on the card. He's putting some of my kids out of the gym on his card for MMA fights and grappling matches. And I like to do that. I like to get these kids out there that really want to fight and get them matches. So um, we, we come in and I, well, I always tell Justin, hey, man, I got Zayden. Um He's around, he's around 80 pounds. Okay, cool. So normally the kids don't even have to show up to weigh-ins and weigh, which if, if anybody wants to see a weigh, we'll break out a scale of the night of the fight. Yeah, step one. Who cares? Sure. Yeah, make sure it's even. Make it even. Close, yeah. close and range, you know. Well, we show up and, and I actually went to the weigh-ins this day. You know, I got about, I got eight guys fighting on the card, including my son. And my son's fighting in a Muay Thai match. And... We get there and they check his weight and he's shoes, shirt, everything. He's 80, 83 pounds. And the coach, oh, take everything off. Let me see what you weigh with everything. And I'm looking at this chick and I'm like, and I'm thinking, who the fuck is this? Like, she is she really about to make a big deal? So he takes everything off and he's like 82 pounds. All right. She's like, oh, you unprofessional. You, you don't know how to make weight. I'm like, bitch. This is my kid. Yeah, you're not gonna talk. I'm like, I told Justin that eight, he is around 80 pounds. Around 80 pounds is 82 pounds. Like, and then even for amateurs in Louisiana, you get a two pound allowance. Wait, and you know it's bogus if you would have said he's 75 pounds and he's 82. You said 80, he's 80 pounds, right? Yeah, right. So for sure. So she makes a big deal out of it, and she's like, "Oh, your boy better pray because he's gonna get knocked out tomorrow night." And I'm thinking. Oh. Fuck this, this adult? Is not, like yeah, this is not like one of my fighters. This is my kid. Like you're lucky you're a female. But anyways, he did, man. But like I said, and I knew this kid was good. The kid been doing taekwondo since he was three, four years old, and can kick every different direction. And and I even said, I said, look, my son ain't no slouch. He's a fucking beast. And so, yeah, man, my son loses the fight, got hit with a spinning back kick in round it's two. It's part of life. It's part of life. After, after my son dropped him. So my son drops him in round two, gets the eight count, right? So I'm like, oh, we needed this because now we, we we went in this round. We got the eight count. Next thing you know, spinning back kick. My son can't, can't answer the count. So no big deal. But now I'm like, we stepped into your world. Now come step into our world. So now we have an MMA fight scheduled. Normal MMA, you got small gloves, shin pads, only thing, no head strikes. Everything else, fine. So I'm like. Was the woman performing weigh-ins a part of that other kid's camp? Yeah, I, I want to say it's her mom, his mom or coach. Nah, I yeah. know she had, I don't know yeah. her name. I know she fought in the UFC before, but I'm like, look, I understand. But like, this is kids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. For for USA Boxing, you have a range. You have a five-pound range in USA Boxing for kids, right? If you're over the five pounds, you can't fight. If you're under the five pounds, you can't fight. 
they, there was an incident with my son where his first boxing match, he didn't weigh enough. So there was like, hey, man, just go tell him, go drink some water. So I gave him two bottles of water. I said, Zayden, chug it. You got to chug it if you want to fight, man. So we actually had to put on two pounds to be able to fight. So, I mean, we've had it both ways. So now mm-hmm. um, here, October 7th, I got a bunch of guys on the card, but my son supposedly, they said 85.5 pounds. If he's anything over 85, they're not fighting. So um, we're working on not making my son cut weight, but I'm working on making sure he ain't eating junk. He's playing football yeah. right now, so he's it's hot out here. I think he'll be fine. So hopefully we get that match because I need that one back. Yeah, that's really cool. And you know what, man? That, that's a bonding moment between you and your son as well. Like, it's super important. You kind of get to see the grit of your child. Is he wrestling? You got him in wrestling as well? So he doesn't actually wrestle for a school or for a team. He's into wrestling. He's done a few wrestling matches actually inside a cage um, for Jimmy Mills promotion on Alabama. Jimmy had a kid that said, hey, you know, I don't have anybody that grapples Zayden, but I got a kid that wrestles that are wrestling. So, man, Zayden, he strapped up his singlet and he went into the cage and wrestled. That's excellent. That's excellent. So Fight Force International, Will uh, Cruthers is your opponent. Yep. You rear naked choke him in a minute 55. And I'll tell you what, you fight another really gritty veteran, June 30th, 2012. Ronnie Rogers, he's out of Finney's yep. hit squad. He goes by Bam Bam. He's 12 and 9. Um, he's somebody that, that, uh, he hits hard and he's aggressive. Yep. So real quick, I fought Will Cruthers in replacing and a replacement for Jason Knight. That's when I was supposed to fight Jason Knight. Really? And, uh, Jason got into a car wreck. So real Cruthers had just moved down and started training at Belcher's. So they put him into the fight to replace Jason Knight. Okay, so there was the Jason Knight fight. That's in April. And then Ronnie Rogers, it's, that's no small challenge either, man. Man, let me tell you something about Ronnie Rogers. That dude threw me around that ring for the whole first round. Like, so strong. But here's the thing. Um, he kind of came in on a short notice, too. I had somebody else I was supposed to fight, right? So this fight is supposed to be at 155 pounds. But they called, the promoter called, said, hey, man, the only guy I got is a guy named Ronnie Rogers. Got a lot of fights, big record, um, but he can't make 155. Can you do 165? And I'm like, sure, let's do it. So I actually fought Ronnie at 165, and that dude threw me everywhere in that first round. Wow. I mean, sometimes that's your best way to win. Let him tire himself out. Let him carry your weight. Yeah, so there's actually, of course, there's videos almost all of these fights on YouTube and Google. But uh, I remember specifically, um, I armbar him. He picked me up, slammed me. I triangle him. He picked me up, slammed me. I arm applied him. He picked me up, held me with one arm, and said, boom, slammed me. And I'm thinking, Phew, dude, strong. I'm about to have ass out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've seen him fight a few times live. And, um, He's a truck. The guy's a truck, but also you're going to face that. Like you're not going to have the ebb and flow of a normal fight. And you got to You got to get through that. Yeah, for sure. A tough one, but I got the job done. Um, that was Renee choke in the second round. Uh, Will Brito or Wellington Brito. He's at a shoot combat in Brazil. Dude, is there somebody managing you right now? Like at this point in your career? 
Yes, uh, Sucker Punch Entertainment. All right. So the fights that they set up for you, I'm just going to be direct. Sometimes when you get involved with a big organization like Sucker Punch, there's not a lot of love there. It's kind of you got to do what you got to do. And then once you do it, then they kind of take over the ship. The structure that you had coming up until this point is absolutely fantastic for building a fighter and his confidence. Uh, Wellington Brito is a black belt out of Brazil. Another benchmark or box that you have to check in order to prove that you're UFC ready. For sure. And, you know, at this time, what am I? I think I'm 7-0 right now, right? 7-0 as a professional. I'm starting to actually start looking at some of these rankings and people are starting to say, hey, you're, you win this fight. You're probably going to go to the UFC. And I'm thinking, maybe, you know, I, I never thought about that. Back when Raphael told me years ago he could see me in the UFC, you know, I thought that was just a, you know, not a joke, but, you know, just something to think about. But now it's starting to almost be a reality. And I wasn't managed by anybody at this time. Right. I'm still we're just still kind of doing our own fights. I got the promoters. Now, of course, the promoter that we're fighting for um, in XFC, very good friend. You know, and he's trying to bring in guys to that, that has good records, guys that, you know, good matchups for me, but guys that are going to look good when I beat them. And that Wellington Brito, he was tough, man. We didn't know a whole bunch about him. We knew he was from Brazil. We, we looked up a couple fights. And I remember walking out for that fight. And I remember the announcer saying, hey, this might be the last fight you see Kerr fight before he goes to the UFC. And I'm like, hey, man, this, this is starting to get real. <laughs> like, I, I might go to the UFC. So, so who, who was helping you get your fights? Um, Raphael. I had Raphael, uh, another coach of mine, Scott Smith, that was helping a lot. And um, – you know, a lot of the promoters that we would fight for, you know, we would be pretty tight with, pretty close. And we wanted to make sure, you know, we, we never asked for a duck. We never asked for a bomb, but we wanted somebody actually good. And I'm actually doing the same thing right now with one of my fighters. You know, I'm trying to build that same path where we don't want ducks. We, we, we can't keep fighting bombs. We need we need guys that are going to make us get to the top. Right, with an opportunity to win as well. So it's not like, yep. you know, you're coming in as a clear B-side, but, you know, somebody that, that there's an opportunity for both opponents. Uh, Scott Smith is somebody that's in your corner quite a bit. Yeah, he is. Uh, so, yeah, Scott's in my corner. So a little quick rundown on Scott. Scott was the very first guy I submitted whenever I came and started training at Gracie Bob Hopper's Jiu-Jitsu, right? And I remember – Keep in mind, I this is my first week. I'm in here. The only thing I know is what me and my cousin practice out in the yard at two o'clock in the morning. So I knew what a triangle was. And I was, I don't know why I was always good at triangles. So I remember we did like a little in-gym competition the, the night that I went, like my first week there, and I I tapped Scott Smith with triangle. And he got up and he's like, Where you train at? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, you train somewhere. Where you train at? I'm like, man, this is my first week, dude. He's like, we're going again after class. And I'm like, God, damn, this dude hates me already. So long story short, uh, we did go again after class. He tied me with an arm bar. But ever since then, when he really figured out, all right, this kid just might, might have some talent. He never trained nowhere, but 
Scott's a good guy, man. He's a local firefighter and paramedic. Um, he helps me out with a lot of strength and conditioning, a lot of uh, meal prep stuff. Real knowledgeable guy, and I've had him in my corner ever since. Yeah, it's like, well, we turn on the backyard lights and we make a dojo back there, sir. <laughs> I mean, that's. <laughs> um, what about SD Dumas? I just met SD for the first time, training for this last fight for the Ultimate Fighter Final. Um, he's uh, he's out of Port City MMA, which is my coach, Jimmy Mills, Jim. And uh, yeah, super cool guy, real humble guy, real good stand up. And I uh, got to work with him for the first time a few weeks ago. That's right. Brandon Wells, your wrestling coach. Yeah. So Brandon Wells, I want to say he just turned 21. So uh, he came to my gym probably about two years ago. Um, he was already a blue belt when he came to my gym from a local karate um, studio we had down the road that's already shut down. But years ago, he he got his blue belt. So he's from Louisiana, but his dad's like in the army. So he's lived overseas for years and he actually wrestled in Germany for like nine years growing up from a kid till, you know, early or late teens. So I guess he moved back, started going to college here in Louisiana, found my gym, came in and uh, got to talk to him. Really awesome, you know, young guy. And uh, really good wrestling fundamentals. And I consider him as a wrestling coach now for me. He does uh, wrestling practices for me. Really good fundamentals. And he's actually undefeated right now as an amateur fighter. That's excellent. That's excellent. Um, you had Wesley Dunlap. I think he was a last-minute replacement for you. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's, you know, what was that, my eighth, yeah, my eighth professional fight. So, it's starting to get hard to find guys to fight me, right? Because, you know, not a lot of guys are going to line up to fight an undefeated 7-0 or 8-0 guy. So um, I can't remember who we originally had for that fight. But, yeah, Wesley Dunlap stepped up, took the fight on a short notice, and uh, I defeated him and moved to 8-0. At this time, I had just signed with my first manager. Lex McMahon. Lex McMahon with Alchemist Management, which actually Charles McCarthy is the guy that reached out and found me. I remember he reached out, um, asked for my number, and I don't maybe it was Facebook or whatever they had back then, but uh, it could have been freaking what was the other the MySpace? I don't know. It was something that we had back then, some kind of social media. And uh, he said, "Hey, man." Um, I found you on YouTube. I've seen all your fights. I think you're in a really good position. I think you're a fighter two away from the UFC. I would like to talk to you about signing with our management group. And I talked to the coaches a little bit. And actually, my my guy, Scott Smith, said, man, I think this is something that you need to do. So I'm like, all right. So I wind up signing with Alchemist. Uh, and I think Charles McCarthy left Alchemist. And then Lex took over. So, yeah, then Lex McMahon started managing me. Okay. So Lex McMahon is a guy that, I, I mean, Titan FC, I mean, he's, he's, it's Titan, correct? Am I off on that? Yep. Okay. Titan. So it's Titan. Um, somebody that actually I, I hear, I, he and I have got some mutual friends, some people that he does business with. I've heard nothing but good things about the guy. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we've had our fair share of problems with Lex throughout the years, but Lex is a good guy, man. He means well, he does a good job with, uh, with Titan. Um, and I mean, He's the one that got me my first shot at the UFC. So, 
I got you, Pat Healy, as well. Strike Force, January 12, 2013. Um, kind of an interesting way in regards to how this ca- this fight came about. Yeah, Pat- so, um, like I yeah, said, I mean, he, 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 Gilbert Melendez was his original opponent. He falls yeah. off. Jorge Masvidal replaced him. He falls off. You take it last minute. Yeah, so Lex gives me a call one day, and I'm, I'm like 9-0 at this moment. He gives me a call. I say, hey, bud, what you doing? I said, uh, you know, not much. Just hanging out. What's up? He says, so. I said, got you a big fight. He says, the <laughs> final strike force card ever. He said, it's a tough opponent. And he said, look, if you do well, you'll go to the UFC. So he's like, you don't even have to win. You just have to do well. And I'm like, all right, well, and I mean, I'm in. He's like, all right, it's Pat Healy. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm familiar with Pat Healy. I've been watching Strike Force, and I actually really like Strike Legend. Force. Legend. Yep. Pat Healy at this moment is 28 and 16. But if you yep. look at his record, he's fought who's who? Everybody. He's, a, he's got a Hall of Fame record in the, in the independent grind. He's legit. Go yeah, ahead. Not only has he fought him, he's beat a lot of those guys, right? So not like he's fighting and losing to them, but but yeah, so Gilbert Melendez is the strike force lightweight champion. Um he's supposed Pat Healy's supposed to fight Gilbert Melendez for the lightweight title. Gilbert Melendez pulls out with injury, goes to the UFC. They're trying to find Pat Healy replacements. I step up, take that fight on a 10-day notice out in Oklahoma City. Uh, final strike force, big card. I mean, you got what I think DC was on the card, Anthony Smith was on the card, Roger Gracie was on the card, Nate Warnwhite. You're up a weight class. Yeah, and I go back to 55. So yeah. Um, so about halfway through my pro career, I dropped down to 45 and I started fighting 45, you know, trying to make the best and the smartest moves for myself to be able to go to the UFC. So yeah, definitely. I stepped back up. Fight Pat Healy, who is not a small 155er, right? Good, durable, big guy. And, man, like, impressed the world. Like, didn't get the job done. Um, lose my first fight ever by decision. But put on a hell of a show. And Your, your first loss. What's going on in your head? You know, man, I, I took it well for a while. And then I want to say, you know, a week or so after, I kind of broke down. And... You know, I was really, really mad, but I just felt like, you know, still a lot of good came out of it, right? Because I'm in the back after the fight, and I'm getting all these texts, and everybody, I'm seeing articles come out that's, everybody's so impressed. Sean Shelby comes to the back and says, how would you like to come to UFC? And I'm like, "Um, I would love to go to the UFC. Thank you so much. And he gives me his card and everything like that. So, boom, there you go, man. You know, finally... Before I even know it, I'm in the UFC. It's got to help ease the pain, but, I mean, you're, you're a guy. I mean, if you look at your fighting style, you're super aggressive. Like, you're, out, you're as alpha as they get when it comes to competing. And uh, that loss, you know, I'm glad it's still stung, though, because it, meant, uh, it means it meant something to you. Your UFC shot, April 27, 2013, UFC 159. You earned Fight of the Night bonus against Steven Seiler. Yeah, so I, I should have got fighting night. We didn't get that bonus. Oh, you didn't get that? Nope. So here's the thing. All right. I got beat by Pat Healy again, and I didn't even fight Pat Healy. So, yeah. So here we go. Um, 
It should have been a bonus. was not a bonus. Of course, me and Steven Tyler called for the bonus. Really good fight, man. You know, um, he he beat the hell out of me the first round. I beat the hell out of him the second round. And the third round was very close until I made a stupid mistake. He took my back and finished around out on my back. So I lost the fight, but hell of a fight. Pat Healy fights the Jim Miller the same night, right? So keep in mind, I fought Pat Healy on the final strike force a couple months ago. Him and Jim Miller get fight of the night. Not only does him and Jim Miller get fight of the night, Pat Healy also gets the submission of the night, too. So he gets two And what's even worse, at this time, there's no set $50,000 bonus, right? So today, you know, all the bonuses in the UFC are $50,000. So sometimes 75, sometimes even 75. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that night they were 65. Oh. So, yeah. So he walks out with 130 grand. He beat me again. Didn't even fight me. On top of his his, his purse. I, I'll tell you about Pat Healy. That's uh, clearly Dana White paying homage to somebody that put a lot of time in the independent grind and treated him with something that he should have got a long time ago. All right. Here, you want, you want to hear this? He failed the test for marijuana and lost all of it. Oh, no, that's right. Did they take his performance bonuses away, too? Yep. No bonus, no fight of the night, no submission of the night, and no win bonus. Oh, my F. So here's what they do, right? They, they take the submission of the night, and they hand it down to Brian Caraway because Brian Caraway is the only guy to get a submission that night. So they gave Brian Carraway submission of the night. They said, we cannot take fight of the night from them because Jim Miller still has to get his fight of the night. But me and Siler was like, hey, we'll split the other 65000 Yeah, we'll be righteous about it. We'll split it. Yeah, yeah we're cool. <laughs> but, no, they, did, they didn't give it to us, man. But, uh, yeah, you know, it sucks for Pat Healy. But, uh, yeah, man, he lost it all. Um. You actually took that fight last minute as well, am I correct? Which one? Uh, Siler? Um, it was a short notice, but I want to say it was about a month. Well, I I Siler, like, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. like a 10-day notice. Right, right, right. Well, you, you actually got released after that as well. I did. So I lose that fight, and I get a phone call from Lex McMahon like the, the next day or the next couple of days. And he's like, hey, bud, um, just want to call you and let you know. They're going to release you from the contract. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, I thought that I put on, you know, good enough fights to where I would at least get the third shot, right? Because I'm still young. I'm still building. I want to say right now I'm like 26, 27 years old. Um, He said, well, he said, do you think you can make 135? And I'm like, no. No way. (laughs) All right. Well, here's the thing. Go back. He said, let's win a couple fights. And the UFC said they'll bring you back. I'm like, all right, man, whatever. So that's what I do, right? Get re- get cut from the UFC, and I go back to the local circuit. Oh, that stinks. And you know what the problem is when you go back to the local circuit? It's not just finding fights, which would be difficult. You got guys showing up at your gym trying to prove to themselves that they belong in the Like, you got belong in the UFC. Like, at that point, you got to be real careful on who you even spar or roll with. 
Yeah, I mean, of course, we, we keep our gym circle kind of small. Well, we used to. Now we're a lot bigger. But back then, it was kind of small. So we didn't have a bunch of outsiders coming in. So we didn't have a huge problem with that. But, of course, you have a huge problem trying to find a fight now because, you know, I was 9-0 and before I made it to UFC. Now I'm 9-2. and And a former UFC guy, you know, not easy to get fights. No. Let's talk about your wife, two-time IBJJF champion. So, yeah, man, um, I met my wife, I want to say 2018, I want to say, sometime around there. And um, turns out that she actually graduated with my sister. So we all went to the same school. So I actually met my wife. We started talking a little bit and we wind up getting together and it turns out she's a college athlete. She played softball in college for Pensacola state. So, and I mean, she's got like the, that softball girl athletic build, right? She's like four foot 11, but I mean, she's, she's stocky, man. She's got some guns and uh, we get together. I want to say sometime around that time, you know, late 2018, 2019. And, um, you know, she comes aboard and we start training jujitsu. And of course, her being a natural athlete and a college athlete, turns out she's pretty damn good at it. So you actually roped her into your world. It's not like you guys met at the gym. Yeah. So no, I didn't meet at the gym. Uh, we started talking like through social media a little bit and uh, wind up getting together, you know, a little bit later. And um, of course, I owned a gym at the time. So once uh, we got together, she started coming to the gym with me. She started training, started helping out at the gym. And so it was so much easier. Yeah. Having a female help uh, help somebody keep you organized. Oh, dude, what a godsend. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, she definitely helps out a lot. That's really good, man. And, you know, obviously, not only a natural athlete, you know, two-time IBJJF champion. Um you know, your phone call home in re, uh, from the Ultimate Fighter uh, was pretty emotional, pretty emotional. You could tell that there was a very, very strong bond between the two of you. Yeah, for sure. And, I, and everybody keeps saying that everybody seems to really love that. And I mean, it is. We, we have a strong bond, you know. Um, you know, she's been there for me every step of the way that she's been with me. Um, through all the ups and the downs, man. Because keep in mind, I go back to UFC again here a little bit later. We'll talk about it. But, you know, she's there through, with me through all of that. And, um, yeah, she's just a great person. All right. You read off some wins. John LeBlanc, another last-minute replacement. You win by submission. You got Calvin Miller. You win by rear naked choke. And February 28, 2014, Eric Marriott is your opponent. He's 22-7. and seven. Kill to Live Grindhouse, legendary old school gym. So, you know, he's got a decent pedigree uh, for your manager, Titan FC. Yeah, for sure. So Lex gives me a call. And he says, hey, bud, um, so check this out. Because I already won two fights. The UFC said, hey, go back, win two fights. We'll bring you back. So I win two fights. And I say, Lex, I'm ready to go back to UFC, man. And he's like, all right, bud, I'm going to call Sean Shelby. And he's like, yeah, they're still... They're still wanting you to get more fights. I'm like, shit. But he's like, listen, we just fought Titan FC, the old Titan FC from uh, HD net days. And I'm like, 
All right. He's like, look, we're going to rebrand it. It's going to be live on CBS Sports. You're on the card. So I'm like, all right, you know, that's cool. And he said, hey, he sent me a couple opponents. And Eric Marriott was one of those guys. And I started looking. I'm like, man, this dude's pretty good. You know, and I'm like, give me that guy. So fighting Eric Marriott for my Titan debut. Eric Marriott's a guy that's fought Bellator. Was on the Ultimate Fighter, fought to get into the house. I think he lost actually, actually lost to Brian Caraway, who we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, fought Joe Warren and Bellator, and I mean, should have submitted Joe Warren several times. I mean, Eric Marriott was definitely legit training out of Kansas City, Missouri, with James Krause and all those guys. So yeah, man, it was a tough fight for my Titan debut, but I think taking that fight, uh, picking the hard fight. Uh, very experienced and getting a victory there was huge. It, it, absolutely. You got to get the decision. You're a proven gas tank. Lloyd Mix is your next opponent. Lloyd Mix is 14 and four. Uh, Lloyd Mix Wood, Woodard Mix was a, uh, it was a featherweight title eliminator and you're four and oh coming off of your Steven Siler fight. Yeah. So yeah, I fought Lloyd Woodard and that's a guy that didn't scare me, but man, I was just so worried about that fight. This is a guy who actually submitted one of the pit bull brothers in Bellator. Yeah. Right. So he, he's 14 and four. Yeah. Yep. Cupcake dog pound fight team. Go getter. What yep. happened? This guy's good, man. So I'm thinking uh, this is going to be a freaking war. This dude likes to come forward. He likes to fight. So, of course, you know, that's the fights I like, too. But I don't know. I was just worried about that fight. But I put it in a hard training camp, made the weight, show up to fight, and knock him out in 14 seconds. Inside leg kick, overhand right, finish with some ground pound. <laughs> like, on paper, outside of Healy and Siler, like, th this guy is – you know, checks a lot of boxes, oh. and you get out of there in under 30 seconds. Yeah. But now, something that actually happened in that fight, I actually broke my patella in that fight. Did you really? Yeah. So when we first come out, we both throw that inside leg kick, and my knee and his knee hit. And I remember feeling like a weird pain. I'm like, oh, that hurt. So I said, fuck it, man. I'm, I'm going to throw the same thing back. So I threw the inside leg kick, and an overhand right lands, and it puts him down. So I jump on top, hit him a couple of times, ref stops it. I go to jump on top of the cage. But yeah. whenever I put weight on my leg, I felt my whole knee say. So I run into the cage and I hit the cage and I got everybody on the cage like patting me, like congratulating me. And I'm like, hey, hey, come out. My knee. They stop and look and like, oh, shit. So, yeah, broke my patella in the fight. 14 seconds in. <laughs> It wasn't from the cage. It was actually from the actual exchange, huh? Wow. It was from the weight. Whenever I whenever I dug that weight to launch myself onto the cage, it I heard it. It completely tore off the bone. Oh, man. Right around this time, you got some personal issues going on, too. Like, uh, I had read that you've got full custody of your children. That is certainly something that's, one, it's admirable, but yeah. you're not a, that's a very difficult road to go down. Um, yeah, tough times, man. And actually, that, that would travel back to a little bit into my uh, my first UFC stint. I was going through a lot of stuff like that with 
trying to uh, get the custody of my kids for very good reason. And, um, you know, I had a lot of that. There were days where I couldn't even train for that fight for Steven Siler because I had my kids and I could not leave them because if I leave them, somebody would have been able to come and take them. So, and there were days where I just didn't train, man. There was days where I had um, somebody that don't hold mitts, hold mitts in a backyard for me to train for a UFC fight. So, but yeah, man, went through some tough times with that, but ultimately got the custody of my kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as a, a guy that also, you know, raised a child, you know, help of my family and, you know, obviously friends, uh, not an easy position to be in, but it speaks volumes of your character. I appreciate that. Yeah. But yeah. That, that I, I had to do, you know, I, I couldn't, uh, I wouldn't be able to go through life and I don't think I would be where I'm at right now if I didn't have. It. No, absolutely not. Well, they keep lining up killers with you. I thought the UFC would have bit after that fight. Uh, but they asked you to fight one more time. They line you up with Desmond Green. He's 14 and three out of Kill Cliff. Um, that's March 20th, 2015. Not an easy fight. No, not an easy fight at all. And I remember Desmond Green being in Bellator, right? He was in the Bellator tournament, won a bunch of fights in Bellator. I want to say he was a semifinalist, maybe. I, I think he lost to Daniel Weichel. Um, But I remember when he came to Titan FC and he got the instant title shot he fought miguel torres from the old wc days and miguel torres in the first round to win the titan fc featherweight championship yeah torres a 35 pounder um past his prime at this point but one of the best yeah. in the world pound for pound but, i mean back then he was still pretty decent right because that was in 2014 2015 when he fought down the screen and then uh so yeah so Coming off of this patella surgery and this knee injury, uh, Lex McMahon, Jeff Aronson called me and said, hey, what do you think about us giving you the title shot against Desmond Green? Winner goes to the UFC. And I'm like, let's do it. Shit. See, he keeps dangling that in front of you. Winner goes to the UFC, but you fight Andre Harrison again, who's the bull out of Belmore Kickboxing Academy. 6-0 is an Amy, 10-0 is a pro. You got a guy that's on a 16-fight win streak. He's not, never fought in the UFC, but if you look at his body of work, it's always PFL, always bigger events. It was just more of a guy that opted not to be in the UFC and be in other organizations. Yeah, and like you said, I beat Desmond Green. Close decision. Yeah. I get the win, and I remember them telling me that night. He came to the back and said, look, Sean Shelby sent me a text. He's taking the winner. So, you know, he's getting us all pumped up to go back to the UFC beat Desmond Green, and I'm talking to him later on that night where I was having beers, and he said, hey, you want to defend your title or you want to go to the UFC? And I'm like, man, look, I want to go to the UFC. He's like, all right. So I'm thinking I'm going to the UFC. He uh, calls a month later and he said, hey, bud, we need you to defend your title against Andre Harrison. He's like, listen, this is going to be our first fight, UFC fight pass. Dana White's going to be there. You win this, I think for sure you go back to UFC. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I thought I'm already going back to the UFC. So I'm like, all right, man. You know, I've seen Andre. I've talked to Andre. We was already on the same fight card a couple times. Um, cool guy. So I'm like, all right, I kind of already had my eye on this guy. So nice. Here you got Gregor Gillespie's training partner, his coach, yeah. Keith, Keith Trimble and Joe Scarola, both guys that are – Kind of legendary at producing pretty high-end talent. Yep. 
And man, look, Andre, super good wrestler, strong, can strike. He, he can do a little bit of everything. Yeah, he's uh, he's not a good matchup for you, to be honest with you. Like the boxes you check are much different than the boxes yeah. he checks. But yeah, so you know, I go out there and I drop a decision, lose my Titan Featherweight Championship to Andre Harrison. Um, competitive fight. I mean, it wasn't a bad fight. You know, I just made a lot of mistakes. Got got out wrestled for the most part. Um, you got you know, ten. Yeah. Going back, but man, it's like I thought that I was going to go to the UFC. So I mean, I don't know how motivated I was for that fight. Um, but yeah, Andre beats me, right? Loses the championship, and then was almost like, well, I worked so hard, I built that win streak. Now I got to start all over because UFC definitely ain't going to take me now. No, and you got to look at it this way too. You hurt your patella on a highlight reel knockout, so you were out. You know, maybe that even hurt you. Yeah, you know, maybe they would have taken you, but you were injured, so they they couldn't put you in. You have almost a year off. Desmond Green, you take another almost year off after that, and you wind up or not, uh, after Desmond for Andre. I apologize. That's a quick turnaround. But after Andre, you, you go to Russia with Akmat MMA, but there's almost a year in between that as well. Yeah. So right after my Andre Harrison fight, um, my contract was up with Titan. Okay. So my contract was up with Titan. They never called me to re-sign me. I never heard anything really from Lex or Jeff. And then Jeff um, Anderson, Jeff Anderson, one of the promoters over there. Okay. Yeah. So I never heard nothing from them. And then um, my, I think my management deal might even been up. So at this time, I'm kind of like going free range. You know, I don't have a manager right now. Uh, I just lost to Andre Harrison. And I get a um, message on Facebook from a Russian guy um, asking me if I want to come fight in this tournament in Russia. And I'm thinking, eh, it might be good. And he's like, all right, so th this is a tournament. First fight is five and five. Second fight, 10 and 10. Championship, like 25 and 25 or something like that. And I'm thinking to me right now, that's. That's pretty good money, you know. And I, don't forget, I still work a full-time job all through this time right now. Even my first UFC stint, uh, full-time job. Tight and oh, oh, and full-time father. Full-time father also. So, yeah, man, I'm struggling a lot at this time. And um, so – You never quit. You never quit, dude. Man, I push hard every day and kept going. Russia. So, so yeah, and – we're like, okay, even though it was very sketchy, but, you know, I got I to send me the contract from Russia. I even, since I didn't have a manager, I actually called Charles McCarthy, who was the guy that seeked out. There we go. I actually called Charles McCarthy, who was the guy that seeked out and found me. And as I sent him the contract to go over, he's like, ah, oh, man, it's not bad. He's like, just make sure they, they do everything right. So, yeah, they sent the plane tickets. They sent every, all the information, hotel, everything like that. And me and my coach, Javier, we flew out, went to Russia. Worst travel I've ever had. You know, and keep in mind, this fight's at 145 pounds. So I'm cutting weight. Um, I want to say we had four layovers around 10 hours apiece or something like that. It oh, literally my took God. Us four days. Took us four days to get there. So we get to Russia, 
And then wait, 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 wait. So you went from Louisiana to New York, New York uh, to where? It could have been like Dallas or something. I can't, I can't remember everywhere. I do know once we got overseas, we stopped at Moscow. I think we stopped at Paris, maybe. Germany so we, is usually one too. Okay. Yeah, right. but we stopped a couple of different places. And then when we land, all right, so we land and the guy is like, now we drive six hours and we're like, oh, this dude's bullshitting, right? But he wasn't. We got in this little bitty ass bus and we drove for probably seven hours. Finally get to the hotel, man. By the time we get there, it's, it's the sun's coming up. It's like early morning and, you know, our times are already off. So I get there and I just start to go to sleep. The phone rings. Nobody speak English around there. But the guy was trying to tell me, hey, you come down. We got to take you to go do like a photo shoot. So they take us like to the soccer arena and we do some photo shoot, man. I'm like running on no carbs, no sleep, no nothing. And, uh, you know, that night we go out and we're trying to find a sauna. And nobody speak English, like I say. So the people are trying to tell us, you know, across the street. So we go across the street and the venues across the street and there's soldiers that are on the walking and, and keep on. We're in Chechnya, Russia. All right. This is not a very good part of Russia. No. And dude, Akman MMA, although it's still around. Yeah. Let's just say um, there's some very capable human beings that are running that organization and you need to be very careful. Yeah, for sure. And man, once we got over there, we knew we were like, look, we're not messing with nobody over here. You know what I'm saying? We are trying to make that home. So we go next door. We're trying to freaking find out where the sauna is. There are security guards with AK-47s or whatever. And we go up. And as soon as we start walking up, they come there like, no, leave. We're like, hey, man, look. My coach, Raphael, said, hey, hey, we're, we're, we're fighters. And I'm like, oh, my God, Raphael. I said, like, dude. Don't put your fist up to these dudes. Yeah, you you want to fight him? <laughs> they caught guns, man, and then we're like, oh, all right, no problem. We're out of here. So we finally find the sauna, man. I, I, I cut about five pounds. That leaves me with about five pounds left. I wake up the next morning, uh, do an Epsom salt bath, and I'm dying. The worst weight cut I ever had in my life. Finally, man, I get out, and I'm like, Raphael, I said, if I'm not on weight, I don't think I'm going to make weight. I get out and I'm like 145.9 and I'm like, let's go. I'm going away right now. So we go downstairs, we weigh, everything's good. That night we do like a big weigh-in party with the uh, the Russian dictator, which I can't remember his name. It's Ramzan something, but he's the he's the the man over there, right? And I'm like, uh, he might be a man over there. He might be a war criminal over here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like there's no they even get a freaking HBO documentary about that guy, and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. God, I was there. I went over there. I shook this guy's head. So, yeah, it was a uh, crazy times. Maybe it's a good thing I lost the fight over there because if I would have won, I might not have came home. I don't know. Well, how, how would you describe the fight and the audience and your experience afterward? Oh, it was insane! Like. It, it was like a UFC fight. To them over there, that is the UFC, right? So, I mean, the place was big. The place was huge. Um, I've even posted, like, my walkout and stuff on social media and Instagram. Um, 
So we're walking down like this big flight of stairs and they got fire coming up. And it's, it was crazy, man. It was like, really? It should have been a lot more exciting to me if I wasn't scared to die over there. But <laughs> it, it should have been better, but I should have enjoyed it more. But uh, I mean, it, it was cool. It was awesome to fight over there. I mean, I really enjoyed that part. And then, you know, um, I lose a fight to another guy who is like one of the best fighters in the world. He fought, he won the Bellator tournament back in the day, beat a lot of guys in the, in Bellator. Um, and still till today has like a solid record. I want to say he's like 30 something and eight, 30 something and seven. And he lost to the same guy that like the last two times he lost. So I, I call him Frodo Kospalayev. I can't say his first name. But uh, definitely yes. a fighter. It's Mega Medrasu Kazbalaev. Yes. Yeah. 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 He was 22 and six. Um, you lose a decision to him. And um, yeah, those Russian trips generally, they've got their system down. Lots of layovers, lots of driving, you know, yeah. almost punish you. Um, to be honest with you, had you had an experienced manager, which obviously you admit to that you didn't at this time, they would have demanded that the flight be direct or, you know, no more than two flights and maybe four or five days ahead of time. That's kind of what you have to do there. Yeah, for sure. And of course, at this time, like I'm still inexperienced. Um, you know, I've been in the UFC, but I'm still an inexperienced fighter. And, and a lot of those, that inexperience is costing me some of these fights. But against Kaspalayev, I took no damage in the fight. I don't think I had a mark on my face, to be honest with you. Um, but he won the fight, rightfully so. He he definitely won. It wasn't like it was a close decision, and they gave it to him because he's a Russian hometown guy. But, um, yeah, so now I'm on a two-fight losing streak. Oh. streak. Um, on the ver- when, I, when I was on the verge of going back to the UFC. So two-fight losing streak, just went to Russia. Good experience. Glad I did it, but I'll never go back for that. It's got to be the UFC or something. And uh, so, yeah, I'm without a manager. I'm without a home because uh, my contract was up in Titan, not going back to Russia. So at this time, man, I'm just not knowing what exactly I'm going to do. Yeah, that's that's not a that's not an easy place to be. Yeah. So um, so we get back home. Me and my coach start talking and we're like, man, look, why don't we just reach back out to Lex and Titan? See if they want to sign you. Because actually, I want to say when I announced my fight in Russia, Lex hit me up. And I think he was kind of mad that I didn't hit him back up and say, hey, resign me. And I'm like, dude, you never reached out to freaking resign nah, me. Nah, so, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Anyways, I reached back out to them and they re-signed me to another contract and uh, set me up a fight. And I want to thank the say the fight they set up for me and keep this in mind too. My last weight cut in Russia was very hard, very tough. So I told myself, I think I'm going to go back up to 55, man. I just need to do, I need a new spark. I need something different. You know, I'm on a two fight losing streak. And well, well it, you know, it, it's, Kurt, if you don't mind me interjecting in essence, yep. are you training to cut weight or are you training to learn? And sometimes when you've got a heavy weight cut, you're training to cut weight and you're not learning. And see, that's exactly what it was. Um, uh, so I definitely was training to cut weight. So my training camps were always consistent of cutting weight. Um, 
so it got to the point to where like it wasn't fun right and i'm like dude if, if it's not fun then i don't know if i want to do it so i went back to 55 yeah that's smart well look at your run you go back to uh you go back to titan june 10 2016 luciana dos santos you win by ko he's 10 and 7 so it's a a good little return fight. Let's not damage his confidence. Bring him in. Yep. Uh, Yos Dennis Cedeno, the Pink Panther. He's from the Black Zillions. 10-5-1. That's December 2nd, 2016. Bro, that's a legit fight, man. No, for sure. That's a guy that was already in the UFC. One, one fights in the UFC. And I remember when UFC, when the Titan FC signed him, I watched him fight when the Titan FC signed him. So whenever they threw the, him at me, um, and of course I'm already, uh, I'm starting to get some fights back now. Cause I beat Luciano Santos, who is a good striking coach for ATT in South Florida, Coconut Creek. I beat Luciano Santos. Um, we reached out to sucker punch at this time and I signed with sucker punch. So when I fought Luciano Santos, I still had no manager, but after that fight, I signed with sucker punch entertainment, Brian Butler, Brian Hamper, those guys. And they're like, all right. So, you know, they wanted to bring me in. So I, they booked me against uh, Yodena Sedania. I almost went back to the UFC before I even fought Sedania. As soon as I signed with him, they they called me and I said, hey, um, so look, man, if you want to drop to 45, I'm going to put your name in the hat. You might, we might get you back in the UFC for next week. And I'm like, all right, do it. I'll cut the weight. Wind up not happening. But right then and there, I'm like, dude, I'm already back on the freaking radar, man. I just signed with Sucker Punch. They already almost got me back to the UFC. You know, I'm getting those calls to where, like, you know, it's showing me some hope. Like, the UFC is being mentioned. So, yeah, so I step up. I fight your Dennis and Daniel. Um, put on a hell of a performance. Get the victory by finish. Rear naked choke. Rear naked choke, I think, was the third round. But that was a, that was a fight that I dominated from start to finish. You know, um, over a very tough guy. Yeah, Pink Panther. Um, he was 10-5-1 at the time. Um, after those two losses, in particularly Russia, like that brutal ride home, um, oh, yeah. a lot of guys would have hung it up. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think that ever really crossed my mind to hang it up, but I was at a point to where I was like, you know, what, what am Fork I the road. Where am yeah. I going to go? No. Um, well, let's look at that fork in the road. Quit, job yourself out for some paydays, or get on the horse again. And that last option is probably the most difficult of the three, truth be told. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I felt like I had to. I felt like I wasn't done. I'm still young at this time, right? So, uh, and, and then when I got that deal recently with Titan, I was actually making some pretty good money with Titan. So I'm like, you know, that's cool, man. I'm going to stay fighting and Titan for a little while. Um, I signed with my new management, so I just need to keep winning, and I think I'll go back to UFC. And not only will I go back to the UFC, maybe I'll go back to UFC at 155 pounds now and see if that run could be any different. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of life. You know, and you can eat occasionally on right. top of that. You know, food that you actually enjoy. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh Bro. But, yeah. but, but, would you think you were being targeted by the Black Zillions? Because your next opponent's Jay Z Cavalcante. Jay Z Cavalcante, twenty one nine and one. Um, 
we just had Jay-Z on the other day, and I'll tell you this right now, Jay-Z at one point, pound for pound in his weight class, one of the best guys in the entire world. Jay-Z Cavalcante is the real deal, man. So, yeah, I don't think I was being targeted by the Black Zillions, um, but what it was is Titan moved their home base down to South Florida, okay? And so Titan started signing, like, a lot of these good fighters, and once I go back to 55, they also bring in Pat Healy, right, a former guy that I fought a while back. And Pat Healy fights Jay-Z Cavalcanti for the lightweight championship of the world for the titan lightweight championship jay-z knocks pat healy out cold in the first round and actually that was the same night that i fought luciano de santos so i remember after that i told my coach rafael i said man i want jay-z for the title and my coach was like oh man I, i don't think we should do that right now um why don't we just give some more time and i'm like all right, well, Titan gives me Luciano de Santos. And then after that win, I call out. I say, hey, I want the championship. So I kind of call out the champion, which um, Jay-Z actually fought Freddie Asuncao for the title. Freddie Asuncao guillotine Pat Healy in like the third round and put him to sleep. And then kind of vacates because he never comes back. So then Titan wants to make that match with me and Jay-Z for the interim Titan FC lightweight championship. Jay-Z Cavalcante, genuinely one of the best human beings I've ever dealt with, man. Yeah. So, you know, man, I love that fight. That was a fight that I I wanted for a long time. That was kind of a fight that my coach, Raphael, wanted me to turn down for a long time. And then finally I'm like, man, it's time I fight Jay-Z. I want the Titan belt. And I want to go back to the UFC. So, yeah, we uh, he finally let me take that fight. Yeah, Jay-Z Cavalcante um, battling injuries right now, almost pushing himself too hard. Um, absolute legend in the sport. One of my favorite interviews that we've done this year. Um, you beat Jay-Z. You knock him out in the fourth round. Um, you really stayed on, like, the edge of his range. And you pretty much stayed out of his mid-range as often as you could. You always kept him at the end of your fist, man. Yeah, look, at this point in time, I'm starting to grow as a fighter. I'm starting to find my real skill, you know. Um, so that's how. That's why I knew I was ready, man. You've seen what I did to Luciano and then what I did to Yo Dennis and then t- stepping up, taking that fight with Jay-Z. Um, I felt like I started feeling like, okay, I, I, I finally belong in here with some of these guys, especially after the performance that I had with Jay-Z. Dude, fantastic. You called to the Dana White Tuesday, uh, Tuesday Contender Series. Um, that's July 11, 2017. Matt Bassett, you stop him in the first round, and it becomes a no contest. How disappointed yeah. are you and what took place? So, man, yeah, definitely disappointed about that um, because that's definitely a victory that I earned. So, of course, um, after that Jay-Z fight, I'm expecting to go straight to the UFC, right? But my manager, Brian, hits me up and he said, hey, uh, so I got good news. He's like, we get an opportunity for the UFC. Okay. So I'm like, okay. He's like, look, man, you're going to headline the very first contender series. 
So I'm like, all right, cool. And he's like, we need you to win the fight. You know, you win the fight, I'm pretty sure you're in. I'm like, okay. But he said, is that 145 pounds? I'm like, oh, shit. I thought I'm going to roll at 55. But, you know, I'm going to take whatever opportunity presents itself. So I make 145 pounds. I fight Matt Bissett on the Contender Series. But here's the thing, right? You're fighting in Las Vegas. You're not under USADA. Now, last time I fought in UFC, there was no USADA. So this time I'm back or I'm coming back. There is USADA. So in USADA, you are not allowed to have any kind of IV rehydration, right? Because a lot of fighters do it. You know, you have a hard weight cut. You, you take an IV and you rehydrate. So, okay, we're going to weigh-ins. And even some, my guy, Scott, he said, hey, man, look, we're not in USADA. You know, we're going to make this weight cut to 145 pounds again. You want an IV? I'll bring it. Because like I said, he's a, he's a paramedic. He's a fireman, you know. He, he can get the stuff, and he always hooks me up with an IV. So I'm like, okay, cool. Um, even I tell everybody at the weigh-ins that I'm, like, planning to do an IV for rehydration, smooth weight cut, easy weight cut, one of the best weight cuts I ever had. So you even make it known. You make it known that that's what you plan oh, on for doing. Sure. For sure. And there's uh, no response from anybody you're talking to. No, nobody told me, hey, well, you know, that's not legal here, right? Because I figured I know it's not with USADA, but we're not under USADA. We're just under the Las Vegas Athletic Commission, uh, Boxing Commission. And there's so, no pullback. There's nobody. Oh. Nope. So nobody says no. I even check on like a checkbox that I will use an IV. So nobody how- tells me nothing. So did, you know what? I bet you. The only reason you get dinged is because you told on yourself. If Usada no, for sure. So if Usada didn't test you, that nope. means they're going by your paperwork. Well, not only that, I even told on myself in further detail, right? So after the weigh-ins, I, I'd take an IV for rehydration. And I don't I just take like one saline bag. Um, the weight cut wasn't bad. I just did it to do it, you know, because I thought that I could. Um Fight goes my way. I knock him out Dude, in the first goes round. Goes your way. Goes your way. Highlight reel. Yeah. You've come. So, I mean, you have arrived. For sure. You know, and I even, I get the contract. Dana White, here's the contract. So I'm going to the UFC. I sign my UFC contract. USADA calls me to start putting me in the USADA testing. And they start asking me questions. And I'm like, yeah, I did a, I did a uh, IV for the last fight. They're like, wait, what? Wait, wait, how far afterward was this conversation? Not, with- even, not even a month, maybe two weeks. So you're right? talking two weeks later. Chef Novitsky, this guy really gives a shit about fighters, ladies and gentlemen. Never mind McGregor. Never mind John Jones. This IV. This is the instance yeah. we're going to make an example out of somebody. Go ahead. So, yeah, man. Um, they, they, they strip your win. They strip your they win. So, and actually, I remember Jeff Nowinski, it wasn't, he wrote me up something. He's like, look, man, maybe we're, I had to do like a court hearing. I had to call into a court hearing and kind of like plead my case. But I'm like, what am I going to plead? I mean, I, I took the damn IV. Um, so, yeah, I called yeah, Here's in. my paperwork checking that I took the ID. You know, yeah. here's the conversations I had. They're making a big deal out of it. Nobody else. Yep. So, yeah. 
I told on myself there was no failed test. There was no nothing like that. So they turn around, they find me $900, suspend me for nine months, and overturn my win to a no contest. Scumbags. So, yeah. And then, of course, I was labeled. Yeah, please as, don't uh, comment. It is, don't comment on my, my little sidebar comment. Right. You got to work with these people. Go ahead. You're this good. is all. This is all me. It has nothing to do with Kurt. So go ahead, bro. I apologize. I'm going to shut up. Yeah, but, you know, then I started getting labeled by a lot of people as, oh, this guy's a freaking cheater. He's cheating. And I'm like, well, how, Kurt, far, how is that you, cheating? Kurt, are you aware that EPO, you know, the drug that allows you to get super cardio, is not one of the boxes that they check for with USADA? And when TJ Dillashaw got caught, it was actually from the state because his former teammates were constantly telling USADA, USADA never tested for it because it was too expensive. Right. So the state commission had to test for it. So now you've got people that have actually failed USADA tests that still don't get checked for EPO. But your IV, that's a problem. Yeah, I know. So, and it's like didn't do nothing in the fight. I ended the fight in the first round, so it's not like it was a war that went all the way to the third round and I had a cardio advantage because, you know, I took an IV the night before. Oh, here, what's your manager say about all this? What's what's his uh, response? So here's the thing, man. I mean, they, everybody, they was with me 100%. Even Sean Shelby in the UFC was with me 100%. Sean Shelby said, man, look, don't worry about it. He's got his contract. Do us nine months. We'll book him for a fight. They never took my win bonus back from the Ultimate Fighter or from the Contender Series or anything like that. I got all my money. I want to say my management sucker punched. I think they even paid my fine. And so really, I lost nine months of my, what would you call it? Um, because just I was, your time. I was, yeah, just your time. You know, just nine months. Yeah. You know, I lost yeah. nine months when I was on. I had that momentum. I lost nine months of momentum. That's what I was looking for. Right, because I'm like, I'm coming off all these fights and I'm looking good, man. I'll be Jay Z, I'll be your Dennis, I'll be Matt Bissett. For the- well, well, dude, let's look at Bissett. I mean, he, you're talking about a seven fight win streak with wins over. He knocked out Kevin Crooms, currently on yeah. the UFC roster. And um, yeah, went by the Mangler. You were actually out of underdog BJJ. I mean, dude, Bissett, he's a, he's a gritty little veteran and he finished. Oh, he was yeah. He was good. I definitely uh, took that fight serious. I knew how dangerous he was. He fought Bellator many times, fought former UFC uh, veterans, beat former UFC veterans. And he was a guy that I think the UFC was really bringing in there to beat me. You know, you heard Sean Shelby talk a little bit on the interview right when we were walking out. And he was saying, hey, Matt Bissett's a guy that could have been here, you know, a long time ago. Yeah. You know, So I think they brought him in thinking he was going to beat me. And uh, wind up getting the win and getting the contract. Yeah, it was a holy shit moment, in my opinion. Like, that was, oh, your main event, first contender series, which is incredibly popular right now. And, like, you brought it home, man. Like, you, you did everything that you were supposed to do. Yeah, for sure. So, um, good moment. I want to say that was a good highlight of my career, man, because, you know, I remember um, – after that win, I'm celebrating with everybody in the back. I got my UFC contract, and I'm like, I'm finally back to the UFC. You know, I did it. I'm here. And uh, But then, boom, I get hit with the nine months, so I don't fight for nine months, but I still got a UFC contract, so I'm still happy. Okay. You don't quit 
again after taking a nine-month suspension. You get brought into the UFC, Roni Barcelos, 11-1. and one. Man, that uppercut, did you win? You know, he, he landed that repeatedly, something he saw in film. Shane Burgos, a fight that you were winning. You get caught in an armbar. Thiago Moises, he's 11-3. and three. Man, bro, you go 3-0. Oh, you go 0-3 you go in the UFC, you get released. You still don't quit. <laughs> I don't know what quit you. means. There's something wrong with you, man. <laughs> yeah, man, so um, I, I don't know the word quit, but you know, in, in between um, winning the contender series and getting that nine-month suspension, that's actually where I meet my wife, there, my current wife now. So we get together. So now I'm starting to get some stabilization at home. I got somebody that's coming in and, and being a mother to my kids. And some stuff you ain't like ever that. had. Some you ain't right. ever had, man. So I'm feeling good, man. Like I'm training every day. I got, got her now with me training every day. We're running the gym. I get the phone call to fight Hione Barcelos. My weight is good. Keep in mind, because I was planning on going back to the UFC at 155 pounds. Now I'm back at 145 pounds. My weight's looking good. My training's looking good. I take that fight serious. It's just, I don't know if I was off that night, um, which actually that fight was one hell of a fight. Me and Barcelos yeah. put on a war. I did get fight of the night for that fight. Barcelos is legit, man. Barcelos is legit. Um, you know, you, you win another two fights. One of your uh, opponents on the independent grind after the UFC, uh, Demonte Robinson. Yeah. Why don't you talk about what took place with him? Okay. So, yeah, man. Um, of course, after getting released from the UFC for a second time, right, now COVID's hitting. So COVID's shutting things down. You're seeing what's happening to go on in the MMA world with empty arenas and the UFC doing these shows with nobody in the arena. Um, and finally, we're able to kind of get back. So, you know, my manager is Brian Hamper and Butler called me one day and they're just like, hey, um, we got you a deal with XFC. All right. Now, this is the old XFC that was on, you know, Access TV. They were on TV back in the day. They're being rebranded. They're going to come back. They're going to be on NBC Sports. So it's almost like that same road where we were taking with Titan, right? But now this is XFC on NBC Sports. So I'm like, all right, cool. And the, it's turning out, the they're like, okay, so they're going to do super fights and they're going to do tournaments. So they're like, man, I'm trying to get you in the tournament, but I might have you in a super fight. Well, waited a couple weeks, nothing, didn't hear nothing. Finally, he calls me and says, hey, got you in the tournament. So I'm like, all right, cool. So he sends me the guy I'm fighting. He's like 18 and five. And I'm like, all right, I like that. I looked the guy up and he's legit striker, but no wrestling, no jujitsu. And I'm like, perfect, man. Because like, if, if, if I want, I just take the guy down and hopefully submit him or yeah. beat him until the ref pulls me off. Yeah, there's a path. There's a, a clear yeah. path to victory. Yeah. So I like it. I see all the guys in the tournament. So I'm like, all right, cool. I like this. So um, we have our first fight in Atlanta, Georgia. I want to say this is uh, in November 2020. States and cities are just starting to open back up where you can go to, like, events and stuff. Um, so the launch of XFC starts. It's a public traded company. 
everybody's really high on it. You're get, supposed to be getting like shares and stuff as a fighter. They do a press conference and everything's feeling good. And man, I'm feeling like, oh man, th- this is this is cool because there's no hopes of me going back to the UFC, right? Nobody goes back to the UFC three times. And I just did my Never. I just did my second stint. <laughs> so I'm not even thinking about going back to the UFC. I'm thinking about, you know, trying to win this tournament because supposedly I want to say they were paying twenty five hundred to show, twenty five hundred to win in the first fight. 45 and 45 in the second fight and five and 20 in the finals. So you get to the finals, it's a good chance you make $25,000. That's a pretty good payday for not being in the UFC. Not to mention they're giving out bonuses. Like you're getting fight of the night bonuses and performance of the bonuses that, that's around $2,500 a bonus. Also, you're getting like 10 to 12,000 shares of the company with a bonus. So, and I'm like, okay, and the company's worth like 25 cents right now, a share. So I'm like, all right, man, I'm, I'm thinking this shit, this could build up a little bit. I like it. You know, and they're treating us like kings. The hotel that they put us in Atlanta, Georgia, was one of the best hotels I've ever stayed in, almost like a condo or a suite. There's a Ruth Chris Steakhouse in there that's you and your coaches get a, that, that's, that's what you get. You get $25 a day or $50 a day per dim. And at night, you get to go and just say, hey, you got a selective menu, but it's Ruth Chris. And you get a six-ounce sirloin or some stuffed chicken. Just yeah. go, hey, my room is 212, Kurt Halaba. Okay, we'll bring it up to your room. Free Ruth Chris. So I'm like, dude, this is legit. So I go out. I fight the fight. Uh, knock out, what's his name? Uh, it's a Ruba guy from uh, Dutch Kickboxer. Oh. Forgetting the guy's name, but I go out and I knock him out in the first round, hit him with big punches, some knees, knock him out, get my first win since being released from the UFC. Um, which of course it was probably a year or so off because of COVID and all of this. Yes, Yohirio Boy, by the way, Josirio Boy, Boy. Yep, that's it. So uh, yeah, man, I get a victory. Twenty six seconds. Twenty six seconds. Yep. And the cool thing, this is a tournament going on, so I'm getting to watch these guys that I might fight. So I'm like, I'm liking what I'm seeing. I beat Jazeera Boye. I move on to the Verdugo, Jose Luis Verdugo. Well, I was supposed to fight a guy named Scott Hudson that also fought that night. He fought a guy from Team Alpha Male. He beat a guy and he moved on. So I'm supposed to fight Scott Hudson in the semifinals. Okay, Scott Hudson pulls out the fight about two weeks before the fight or maybe three weeks before the fight. And Jose Verdugo replaces Scott Hudson. I want to say Scott Hudson was like 11 and five. He won. I think he won by decision, Um, but he fought a guy that was like 15 and 10 or 15 and 15. I don't know. So you can clearly look at my side of the bracket. You can look at these other guys' side of the bracket. One side's way more advanced than the other. So they gave me all the guys with 18 and 5. And then I fought um, Verdugo, which was like 19 and 9. And I, I get a second-round knockout over Verdugo. So that springs me up to the finals. Well, that same night, um, 
Kenny Cross is another guy that they're trying to build, right? He's on the other side. He gets a finish, I want to say, in the first round or the second round. So he actually gets hurt. He tears his Achilles, pulls out of the tournament. They replace him with DeMonte Robertson. So DeMonte Robertson fights a guy named Tom O'Connor in the semifinals. The same night I faced uh, Verdugo. DeMonte Robertson beats Tom O'Connor. I beat Verdugo. That sets us up the finals, right? And this is a five to show and 20 to win. So this is a $25,000 fight. And uh, the promoter calls me and he's like, hey, do you want to do this fight in Michigan or do you want to do this fight in Cancun, Mexico? And I said, shit. And, and actually, the day for Cancun, Mexico was my birthday. So I'm like, Cancun for sure, man. I can use a trip to Mexico. So, boom, they said it. Doesn't happen. And get this, me and DeMonte Robertson are both under sucker punch. So we're both managed by the same company. And we're both calling like every day because they're they're just holding out, holding out, holding out, not doing the show. And they do a little show in Michigan. We don't fight on it. Well, DeMonte Robertson actually has a bad work accident, falls at work, breaks both of his legs, and I think breaks his back. So he's paralyzed from now the waist down. Oh. So, of course, I mean, that fight never happens. I wind up getting a release from XFC. And uh, I, honestly, I don't know DeMonte Robertson's status right now. Um, I, sometimes I try to keep up with him on Instagram, but I don't think I follow him. Um, but yeah, I know he went through that bad injury. I hope he's doing well. Um, I'm hoping, you know, things are not permanent like that, but honestly, I don't know. Yeah. It just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. It's you've hit so many roadblocks in your career. It's incredible. And then you take two years off and you wind up on the ultimate fighter. You're there for the yeah. third time, brother. You're there for the third time. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I signed with another organization too. I signed with Eagle FC, Khabib Nurmagomedov's organization out there in Miami. I signed a good contract. He's paying like 10 and 10. He's paying UFC money. So I signed my contract with him. Never get to make my debut. I even have one of my students, one of my guys that signed with uh, Ali and Dominance, right? And Ali and Dominance, that's their organization, right? They're over it. So they fly my guy out to fight. What's his name? Dennis Hughes, DJ okay. Hughes. So he fights with the Eagle Guard. Yeah. And um, I go out there with him. I was supposed I was supposed to fight on that card. And you know who I was supposed to fight? Or is who they offered me to fight. They offered me to fight um, Roosevelt Roberts, another guy that was on the Ultimate Fighter with us, who is now a good friend of mine. But, you know, Eagle offers that. And, of course, I say yes. But then they come back and they're like, no, nah, they gave him to, I want to say, Almeida or something. So I didn't get to fight. But I see Roe down there. I see him fight. So I'm like, man, this is the guy I'm supposed to fight. My guy DJ fights. Um, I talk to Ali because now I'm, Ali says, hey, see you in July. We're putting you on July. So I'm like, all right, cool. So then there's talks to me fighting Kevin Lee, who was like their first signee. And they're like, yeah, man. Um, Ali said, he mentioned you fighting Kevin Lee at 165 and they're going to pay you like 60 grand, 30 and 30 or something like that. And I'm like, that's Run me. It. I mean, Run it. I do it. Well, <laughs> as you know, long story short, um, Eagle stopped doing shows. They hit me with that opportunity to the ultimate fighter. 
I take it. I go. Here we are. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, throw a couple names, and then we're getting out of here, dude. We've taken way more than enough time. Uh, Brian Butler, your manager, I thought he did an amazing job when he helped induct uh, Jens Pulver into the yeah. last Ultimate Fire. He was a little nervous, you can tell, but he was nervous because he actually genuinely cared. Right. No, man, Brian's such a good guy. Like I said, um, I don't know the exact year. It's probably 2017 or something like that when I signed with those guys. But, man, hey, those guys never gave up on me either. Throughout everything that's happened, you know, getting cut from the UFC again, they still presented me with good opportunities. Every time I call them, they answer the phone. So I uh, can't say enough good things about those guys. Uh, Ethan Hughes. Ethan Hughes. DJ Hughes's brother, which yep. when we just mentioned fought for um, Eagle. So Ethan's DJ's younger brother, still very young. I want to say if I'm guessing, man, he's probably 22, 23. He stepped up. I got him a fight on Bellator um maybe two years ago he stepped up fought a olympian in bellator beat the olympian he was like a plus 800 dog in that fight wins the fight ali and those guys see that and they want to sign ethan so ethan says okay well can you sign my brother too so they wind up signing both of them so yeah ethan hughes bellator vet he he lost his last fight in bellator um, but he tore his ACL in the first round and currently is recovering from ACL surgery. Yeah. Um, Brandon Allen. Brandon Allen. Brandon Allen, man, is a guy that I was training with Brandon Allen when he was 12 years old. And um, as he started to grow up, right, we still train together a lot. And then he wound up departing from us and uh, going out to gyms like Duke Rufus. And now he's over at Kill Cliff. But, uh, I mean, Brennan's done his thing, man. Happy for Brennan. He, he's made a huge name for himself, and he's definitely in top running to be possibly one of the next UFC middleweight champions. Yeah, absolutely. And why don't we end this with the guy that put us together, uh, a guy who, man, very impressive to talk to, uh, Preston Thigpen. Yeah, so I met Preston years back, man. When I first opened my gym, I want to say probably back in 2016. So Preston come and sign his son up, his son, Jason. So I want to say he signed his son up when he was like 10 years old. All right. So his son is about to be 18, I think. So he's, I think a senior in high school or about to be a senior. And, you know, he was here every day with his son while I trained his son in jujitsu. And um, Preston came to me one day and he's like, Hey man, I think, uh, I want to start training. So I'm like, all right, yeah, awesome, man. Let's, let's, let's start doing it. So we started training, and we take off from there, man. Preston's a very good mind for the sport, knows a lot about the sport, knows a lot about the history of the sport, watches a lot of jiu-jitsu, always watched the UFC or any kind of MMA for that matter. Um, he actually is now a purple belt under me in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's one of my assistant MMA coaches. He travels with us he corners all of my guys all of my guys consider Preston one of their coaches um good guy great guy to be around Preston thick man Kurt let me tell you something man you you surround yourself with uh winners you can tell a lot about somebody with who they, they surround themselves with and you consistently you know you've had some bumps in the road in the past but you consistently made adjustments and now you're you've got two gyms right now yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a big thanks to my wife, too, man, because like I said, when we first got together, 
I was still working full-time jobs. I quit working my full-time job after I fought Hione Barcelos and got the fight of the night. So I got the 50000 from them, and I told my wife, I said, hey, you know, my, my head coach, Raphael, wants to sell me a gym in Franklin, Louisiana that he opened for other people to run, which wasn't doing well. I said, let's take a chance. Let's buy this gym. So we bought the gym. Um, I wanted my kids to go to a good school. So we started looking at schools in Franklin, really good school. So I'm like, all right. So we bought a house in Franklin. So now we have 20 acres and a house in Franklin. Got a small farm, horses, dogs, pig, chickens. And yeah, so now we live out in Franklin. Uh, we have two gyms. Both gyms are doing very well. And, uh, you know, me and my wife just running gym, competing. She's actually competing Friday. We're heading out to Vegas Wednesday for another world IBJJF world shot. So uh, we'll be down there in Vegas this weekend that's fantastic man kurt since you gave us two hours dude your career is incredibly fascinating and your just inability to say no or be undetermined to complete your goal is uh something that everybody around you notices thank you so much for your time bro yeah for sure and then oh man the thing is heavy oh Oh, that's it. <laughs> it's man. I lost about twenty pounds, but yeah, but yeah, man. I appreciate the time. Thank you for having me on. So, Kurt, we'll be in touch, buddy. Thank you so much, yeah. man. So, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our career deep dive with Kurt Hollibach. If you really enjoyed this content, guys, we've got almost two hundred other episodes. It's the exact same format. Everybody kind of fits into like the same formula that we do. And we just try to document history. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I do. If you're from the Louisiana area, we got Jason Knight. We got Rich Clemente, uh, Tim Cruder. And now we just added another one from the Louisiana area. and Kurt Hollibaugh, somebody that just commands respect with every room he goes into. So if you guys can like, share, subscribe. If you guys are on YouTube... I don't even want to talk about what's happening over there. They just kicked off like 500 of our subscribers and we're on the verge of being demonetized in regards to time allowance and downloads. If you guys could please just leave a comment, help us with the algorithm with YouTube. If you're on iTunes, if you can leave us a review, we need about 200 reviews. We're at 50 right now. We've had about 45,000 downloads from iTunes. So There's a bunch of people listening to this right now that haven't done that for us. If you guys could please do that, it'd be greatly appreciated. So like I said, like, share, subscribe. If you guys can post this in other areas, especially in Reddit, greatly appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.